0: I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And in this series we've been talking about the presence of God and how vital the presence of God is for our whole life. And we must seek God because we need His presence. We want to know Him. And it's important to realize that we tend to look on the outward form of things. And if everything's all right on the outside... We think that's, that's all that matters and uh, we put value on the outward things, but God actually is more concerned with the heart, with the presence. The real life is in the presence and it says that God, man looks on the outward form, but God looks at the heart and the heart is a presence generator. And what's coming out of our heart is either light from the presence of God or darkness from the lack of the presence of God. And what's coming out of our heart is is really the important thing, more than the outward appearance. God weighs the hearts, the Bible says. And so we must put our greatest value on what is coming out of our heart on Is it the presence of God? Is it the light of God coming out of our heart? That's the thing that is of greatest importance. And that's why we must seek God. That's why we must value the presence of God in our life. Because as we seek God, we open our heart up to the God's presence. And God's presence can come into our heart and fill our heart and flow out of our heart. And that's what God wants to see. And once the presence of God is flowing in our life, then everything else will be as it ought to be. And so we've been seeing the motivations to seek God is, first of all, we need his presence. We are like a car that needs fuel. Uh, We need the presence of God to operate on. And the more we realize we need him, the more we will seek him for that. But today I want to go on to the higher motivation of seeking him is because we love him and that's what causes us to seek Him and give ourselves to Him because we love Him. And the two work together, by the way. Um, we, we need to, to love Him, to desire Him, but also to love Him. We seek His presence for those two reasons. We love Him, we know our need for Him, but also we want to give ourselves to Him because we love Him. And both of these cause us to seek God. What causes us to love God? is the fact that he loves us, his love for us. As it says, we love him because he first loved us. The more we realize he loves us, the more our heart wants to respond to him in love. He awakens true love in us. And, and that goes beyond us just needing him. It, it, it creates a, His love to us creates in us a desire to know him more and to give ourselves to him. Because he's given himself to us. It, it's a desire to be as close as possible to him, to, be, to seek him. This causes us to seek him above all others. So I want to share today how the Lord is, our, is the divine lover. It's the romance of redemption. He, as a lover, he pursued us from heaven to earth to have an intimate relationship with us. And we love him back. Once we realize his love for us, our heart is excited and we love him back by surrendering to his love and letting his love change us. So I'm going to use the romantic analogy as I share with you right now. In the classic romance, you see, there are always obstacles in the way of true love being fulfilled. There are barriers in the circumstances and there are barriers in the hearts of the two lovers whether it's their sins, their fears, the baggage of their life but the thing about strong love is that it overcomes all the obstacles uh, leading to them coming together and being happy ever after and so in the same way God has a passionate love for us, it's a consuming fire He wants more and more of us, He wants our total being And, and He is so strong in His love for us that He has overcome every barrier. The first barrier was in the circumstantial barrier is the fact that the barrier between heaven and earth. There's God in heaven and there's man on earth. A great separation. But Jesus is the divine pursuer. The divine lover who pursues us. He crossed the barrier to enter this earth as a man. To reveal himself with us. To connect himself with us. To open his heart to us. This is the bridegroom pursuing his bride to create a love relationship with us. And there were also the obstacles due to our sin, because there's the obstacle of sin in our own heart that prevented us from coming into God's holy presence. And there's the obstacle in God's heart, which would be his righteous anger and judgment against sin. That made it impossible. And the cross is Jesus demonstrating to us how much he loves us through pursuing us, through serving us in his ministry and then. Through his sacrifice. And what took him to the cross was his passionate desire to save us, to care for us, to, to be united to us for all eternity. And to exalt us. So on, this is the lover of our souls. See on the cross he took our sin. And he took God's judgment against uh, our sin. And in doing that he removed all the obstacles in God's heart against us being one and that's what we call reconciliation and uh, he removed the obstacles in our heart Uh, that's reconciliation and he removed the obstacles in God's heart God's anger against sin that's called propitiation and he also removed the obstacles in our circumstances that's the kingdom of darkness that had a claim on us because of our sin that we were in slavery to sin and to Satan and through being the redemption that he did on the cross, he broke the power of that. So he overcome every obstacle as our bridegroom champion. And on the cross, he made the ultimate sacrifice, laying down his life to remove every obstacle to love being fulfilled. And he showed how much he loves us. He, he laid the foundation for an eternal love relationship. We need to know this truth personally, that that's how much he loves each one of us with a passion, not just us all together as a group. That's why he told the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, because Jesus didn't talk about all the hundred sheep being lost, it was just that one sheep being lost. Then the good shepherd went out and pursued that sheep until he found it and saved it. And in reality, all of us as sheep have gone astray we've all we're all lost but Jesus told the parable about one because he was saying even if we were the only one who was lost he would have come and died for us and saved us when we accept Christ we actually accept his proposal the gospel is like a like a p- proposal a man's proposing to a woman we accept his proposal to be his bride to be married with him for all eternity, to live happily ever after. And actually the divine romance is the basis for all romantic stories. Human romance is just a pale shadow of the divine romance. It teaches us the greater truth. And the rapture is a great romantic moment when the bridegroom comes to take the bride to be with him forever in marriage. We will always be with Christ in his presence forever. And the, this is the ultimate, and Christ's death made that all possible. God's presence, that's what it's all about, God's presence with us. You know, we have a superficial idea of sin, uh, because sin, you see, is so destructive, it is because we can only understand that when we understand the context of our love relationship with God sin is sin against love you see the ramification of sin is that it disrupts the relationship and fellowship of love you see God is pursuing you as a lover he wants the closest possible relationship with you and sin is anything that gets in the way of that not seeking God but seeking our happiness and our life in other things you see that is the essence of sin because we're going our, our heart is going astray after idols. To love God, you see, is is to put him first, to seek him first. It's not an optional extra, it's what we're commanded to do. Deuteronomy chapter six, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. That's the Trinity. The Lord, our God, the Lord. The three is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is, this is a romantic verse, you see. The divine lover is saying, I give you my all, all my love, and I want you to give me all your love in return. God is not asking for something that he's not willing to give us. In other words, it would be wrong for a man to ask for a woman's all her woman's love exclusively, if he was not offering her all his love. So she is just responding to him. She's harmonizing with him. And so God loves us with all his heart, and he asks us to respond. The first commandment actually defines the essence of sin, which is idolatry. It says, you will have no other gods before me. This is the jealous lover. God says, I love you, and I don't want anyone else or anything else to get in the way of our love. Anything to be more important than me. I must be first in your heart. Otherwise you're sinning against our love relationship. Idols are not just an old-fashioned concept of some wooden thing. It's anything, a person or even yourself, that is more important than God and your relationship with God. And that thing has now a power over you that pulls on your heart stronger than God. So you desire and you value it and you seek it more than God. That's why we must seek God above all things. That's the answer to, to be, uh, that's the first commandment really to God. Idolatry is the essence of sin because our divine lover wants and claims all our heart and he wants us to give our whole heart to him because he wants to fill our heart with his love and he can't do it if we don't give our heart to him. So when our heart turns aside to something else, to find meaning, satisfaction in something else, we are turning to an idol, a substitute for God. And that causes God to feel an emotion called jealousy. It upsets God. He's emotional because He wants all of you, because He loves you. If He didn't love you, He wouldn't care less. He'd let you be. But He wants to give Himself to you. He wants to enjoy your love. But He can't if your heart is focused on something else. To that extent, you're not open to him. And then the next commandment says, you will not make yourself a carved image or likeness of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You'll not bow down to them nor serve them. In other words, they're not to rule over you. See, God doesn't mind you having things, but he minds things having you. They having a power over you. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is a jealous God. It's interesting, he says no no idols, and then he also says no images. And, and often an image here is actually an image of God. And any kind of idol or icon that is an aid to worship, that you actually use, a visual representative of God. Even the golden calf was meant to represent Jehovah God, and God hated that because it was a representation, but you can't reduce God to a visual depiction. And, and when you're actually worshipping that thing, you're actually worshipping something other than God. Again, he's jealous, because you're giving a heart, your heart to something that is not God. And he is upset when his beloved is holding back, is re- not responding to him, because it's attached to another lover. You know, God is jealous. I want to talk about that. I want you to realize God's passionate over you and he's jealous over you. Envy is always bad. Envy is when you want what someone else has. But jealousy can be right because jealousy is that you're upset when someone else is trying to take what belongs to you. And so when you give your heart to an idol, to something else, God is jealous. God is upset because your heart belongs to you. He's purchased you with his blood. He loves you and you're in covenant with him. He's your bridegroom lover. And if you value something that belongs to you, you are jealous over it. You protect it. You fight for it. That's how God is over you. Exodus 34, he says, You will worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. We talk about the names of God. Have you studied the fact that God's name is jealous? the jealous one. He wants all of you and he's upset when you give your heart to something else before him. See this is all about seeking God. In seeking God we lay aside our idols and give all our love to God. You know is anything more important to you than God? You know God's not being selfish because the part that you're keeping from him is the part he can't bless and fill with his love. And so our response to God, as we seek God, we surrender our whole heart to him and to his love and seek to be filled with his love. And then he rejoices when we do that. He must be the biggest thing in our life. Jesus said we must love God, um, we must love him more than anything else. Jesus said if you're not willing, if you don't love me more than father, mother, son, daughter, or even your own life, you're not worthy of me. This is not the slave master forcing himself on us, but it's the lover saying, I won't settle for second best. I want all of your love. I want to give myself fully to you, but I can't if your heart is wandering off to other things. And so God gently draws us back. He's, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. In other words, God is jealous. And when we feel that jealousy also. For I have betrothed you to one husband. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That our heart should not go adulterously to other things. We look to his love. Him alone. He says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. So your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity in Christ. Our heart must be simply focused and our love given to him alone, a devoted heart, not an adulteress who goes after other things to find her satisfaction. Deuteronomy, God says, take heed to yourselves lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you. Remember, you have a covenant with God. He, you belong to God. That's the biggest thing in your life. And God has a right to be jealous over you. He's given himself completely to you and he wants you to give yourself completely to him. He says, don't make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. That's the meaning of the consuming fire. His heart is, cons- is a consuming fire of love for you but he's also a jealous God. His jealousy takes the form of a consuming fire. It's a burning heart of love that will consume any idol that's getting in the way of love's fulfillment. You see, when you seek God, when you come into his presence, then if there are any idols in your heart, he'll start dealing with them in a very gentle way. He'll, he'll point them out to you, you'll start seeing them. And you then give him permission for his consuming fire to burn those things away. As you see his glory, you see, you see that the thing that has occupied your heart for so much, you'll see it for what it is. and That it's nothing compared to the glory and the beauty of knowing God. And so you'll let that divine fire consume that thing out of your life so that it takes its proper place. It's no longer an idol. See, as you come to the light, the idols will be exposed in your heart. And that's part of seeking God. See, 2 Corinthians, it's very interesting, 2 Chronicles. If my people will humble themselves, that's fast, and pray and seek my face. How do we do that? With praise and thanksgiving. And turn from their wicked ways. Notice that comes last. Turn from their wicked ways, turn from their idols. You see, normally people will teach it, well, first you must confess all your sins, you must turn from your idols and once you sorted yourself out on your own then you come then you can come into God's presence but that's not how it is here he says you seek God's face and as your heart opens up to the divine lover that consuming fire that purifying fire is gonna start to work and and those idols will be exposed in the light of his presence and then you you've got a choice you're either gonna back off and protect your idols pull out of the presence of God, or you you stay in the presence of God and let that fire do its work. They may be good things, but they shouldn't rule your heart. And often we just deal with the outward symbol of sin. We say, oh God, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. But the real problem that generates that sin is an idolatrous heart. And the answer is, to, to sin, is to seek God with all your heart, and let God's consuming fire burn away those idols. Deuteronomy, he says, don't, don't bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That's who he is. Jealousy is all about love. See, God exists in a state of total love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving each other, giving themselves to each other. And we've been called to be part of the eternal life of God. But that requires us totally surrendering and giving ourselves to the love dynamic that is flowing, opening our heart wide. And that means turning away from all idols so that we seek God and love God and let God rule over our heart. He's not a dominating lover, but he woos and he draws us closer to himself by his love. See the words of James 4.4, 4. he says, adulterers and adulteresses. And actually, it's just in the Greek, it's adulteresses. Why? Because he's talking spiritually. Jesus is our bridegroom, and we are promised to him. And if we're unfaithful to him, we're as an adulteress. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, we either seek God with all our heart, Or we look to the things in the world for our satisfaction and our meaning. But when we're doing that, we're at enmity with God. We're resisting God in our life. We're working against God's purposes and we're upsetting him. Now, yes, God hates the sin. But remember, God loves the sinner. So God still loves you, even though he's upset with that sin. He loves you the same. And it's the fact that he still loves you, that's what gives you the confidence to come to seek him. And let him examine your life, and let him burn out those idols. But he is upset by the idol, because it takes our heart away from him. So he can't have the closeness with us that he would like to have. So James says, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And here's a key verse. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Or the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy. Or the spirit whom he has caused to dwell in us yearns over us. And he yearns for the spirit to be welcome with a jealous love. And the spirit God made to live in us wants us only for himself. That's the heart of God's love. He's emotional. He's passionate. He wants every part of you and every part you give to God gives him joy. And every part you withhold from him, he's, he's, he's jealous, he yearns, he craves, he lusts to possess more of you. He's like a consuming passion to possess us as a divine lover. He won't settle for half of you or three quarters of you, for the second best. He yearns for your surrender, but not a surrender that he's forced on you. But by winning your heart by his love, that's what he wants. He's passionate over you. He wants to consume your heart with the fire of his presence and burn out anything that gets in the way of closer fellowship. You know, when we accept Jesus as Lord, he gives us his spirit, his presence, and that is called the guarantee, the down payment that guarantees the full possession. And he'll take full possession of us at the resurrection. But we can enjoy his presence as much as we can right now. So ultimately, all sin is against God because it blocks that flow of love. The heart of God, you see, you've got to understand, is passionate for you. you are, when you seek God, you are seeking the one who loves you more passionately than you could ever imagine. He doesn't force himself on you, and that's why you may not be aware of it. He, he doesn't force himself on you because he wants you to voluntarily love him in return and the more you will open up to him the more you will experience the waves of divine love flowing over you but don't wait for him to force it on you because it won't happen so the essence of sin is idolatry it's seeking something else rather than seeking God that's more important than God to you remember your heart is where your treasure is what do you value the most? that's where your heart is and if your heart is in the things of this world That shows that you value them more than God. And they are idols to you. Let God be your greatest treasure. Romans chapter 8, it says, Romans chapter 1, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. God is angry against man's unrighteousness and ungodliness. But he describes sin in terms of what happens in the heart, first of all. He says, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He, he analyzes sin here and he says it starts in the heart. And it starts by man turning away from worshipping God or seeking God to actually seeking reality in things, in idols. Because he says what is known of God is manifest in them, God has shown it to them. And he says God has clearly revealed his power and his glory to man, so that man is without excuse. And here's the key, verse 21, because although they knew God, they knew there was a God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but become futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and animals and creeping things. And so this is what happened in the heart of man, That his heart turned from seeking God to seeking things in the world, natural things, idols, that they can see, feel and touch. And those things become the object of their love and their seeking and they exchange the worship of God for that. Idolatry, that's the root of sin. And that leads to immorality. And in the rest of Romans he describes the immorality that that leads to. You know, it's not wrong to want things. Success, good relation, marriage, good things in this life. But we're not to be ruled by those things. Jesus said, if we seek first the kingdom of God and and his righteousness, all these things will be added to us. We must put first things first. Seeking God, in other words, it's not an optional extra. It's the core of your life. If you're not seeking God, you're an idolater. And so it is an essential thing. The definition of a Christian is that you turn from God, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let your seeking of God be the number one thing in your life. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And our vision is to spread the in-depth teaching of the Word of God to the ends of the earth. But we need your help. If you can partner with us or, or pray for us, contribute to us, it will make all the difference to make this possible. I hope you've enjoyed this series on Seeking the Face of God. And if you want to get into the, this material even more, you're going to find this brand new CD series helpful to you. of eight CDs, Seeking the Face of the Lord. And here you'll get a lot more teaching. On, on this reality. This is the key to everything. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services, which are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. You can order CDs, DVDs, books, and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086